0: My work is really, you know, perverse in many ways, not super explicit, but it is there. Like, there's a dark aspect of my work. So many people ask me about that, like, do you have a really traumatic childhood? (laughs) And I usually say that no, that I have a pretty average childhood, Um, even though I grew up in a really dark time in my country. I mean, we were in a dictatorship. I was in a really lefty family. Uh, with a lot of political issues, so that's something maybe really dark that it was going around me when I was a kid. But it wasn't like about me; it was about a whole country who was going through a really hardcore process. So that was a little bit like the context of the 80s in in Chile. And at the same time, I think we were consuming a lot of American culture because. Basically the US was like founding our dictatorship there. So we consume a lot of American culture. I was watching a lot of Disney films. Um, I wasn't allowed it to watch TV. My parents would this kind of create this kind of like a hippie bubble where we were not allowed it to watch TV, we went to a Waldorf school, da-da-da. So watching TV was something really special or watching movies was something really like wow.
1: Welcome to The Weird Showed Broadcast, a podcast about art, context, appropriation, paper, artist, ideas, places, sounds, people, stuff, and sometimes collage. Today, we talk with Catalina Schliebener, a New York-based, Chilean-born artist. Their mixed-media work lives in paper collages, site-specific installations, and murals. Childhood is the first layer of meaning that forms around Catalina's practice, but their work is not just about childhood. Rather, they use it to explore the concepts of gender, sexuality, and class. Informed by their upbringing in a left-wing household during Pinochet's dictatorship in Chile, their life as an immigrant, queer theory, a philosophy degree, a job in early childhood education, and their path to find their own identity Catalina's work is extremely personal, blending childhood's playful spirit with a deeper introspective approach that makes us reflect in our own lives and experiences. The conversation with Catalina was wonderful. We enjoyed it a lot. So, without further interaction, here's Catalina Schliebener, recorded from their studio in Brooklyn, New York.
0: I had to say first that the process is a really important part of my practice. I don't know in advance what I'm going to do, and I have, like, a prompt, or I, I've been working around childhood. That's the first thing that I will say. That's, that's a good starting point. So my whole work is about childhood, and objects, uh, books, uh, clothing related to childhood or that period of our life, basically. Um, and the work is, even though in the, in the final result you don't see it, it's really process-oriented. So the process always starts when I found an image or an object that somehow trigger. You know, some kind of connection in my brain that I don't know well how to explain. Like I, but I know when I see it. Like I know when I find a book or I find an object that that's gonna be something that I can work with. Many times I'm, I accumulate objects and images and books, uh, and I think that I'm gonna use them, and then they don't work out some, somehow. Like um, I think for anybody who have experience working with collage, um, a lot of like I discard a lot of material. I will say that, like, I don't know, maybe 50% of the time I spend um, looking for materials. So I will look for materials, like, in thrift stores or flea markets. Or since I moved to the U.S., uh, I live in New York, in Brooklyn, like, basically in the streets. I found a lot of materials in the street. Um, So that's how the process started, basically, like, trying to... Yeah, like accumulating the objects or images or particular books that I'm looking for. At at this point, I've been working for so many years that I I know where to look in a way. And many times, for example, I will find a book in a thrift store and then I will go to eBay and buy like, I don't know, eight copies of the same book. Uh, Right now, and I will say in the last, yeah... At least eight years, I've been working mostly in analog collages. Um, In the past, I worked in digital also. But specifically, like analog collage require, you know, like a bunch of books, at least how I approach my practices that way. So usually I found it, like, again, in thrift stores. And then if I need more copies of the same book, specifically because at least the series that I'm developing now, I think it's really important that the actual objects is there. So for me... That conceptual aspect is part of the, the practice, um, and usually, like when I found a book that I'm interested or an object that I'm interested, I I will research a lot about that. I can start like two ways. Like I, I found an image or an object or a book and that can start even a series or I have a prompt in my mind. Uh, for example, right now I'm working in this series called Satanic Panic. And that that specific one started with that prompt. But also the prompt started as a like similar to how I found objects. Um, I've been living in the U.S. for the last seven years. And since I moved here, I've been working with Uh, kids. So it's the first time in my life that somehow my art practice relates to my day job. And I'm particularly working at preschool. And um, so in the last, I would say, two or three years, I was feeling like that the whole political uh, situation here in the U.S. was really similar of some aspect of like moral paranoia that we experienced in the 80s and 90s. Um, so that whole phenomenon here in the U.S. was called satanic panic. I grew up in Chile and during the 80s, and at the late 80s and beginning of the 90s, we have, a, like, a similar process in Chile. Um, like, a lot, like we were coming out of, like, a dictatorship, and, like, and Chile is a really conservative country, so I remember being, like, a pre-teen and, you know, like, we consume an insane amount of, like, American culture also in Chile. So I remember watching all these shows, like, like talk shows, like Geraldo and, like, all this, you know, like, uh, moral paranoia was, like, coming up in those talk shows. And, and somehow that kind of situation, like, the situation that we were living now in the U.S. with Trump and all that a few years ago, like, somehow started to, like, remind me... Um, to that period and I started to research about this phenomenon so right before the pandemic basically I started this new series called like Satanic Panic it also started like a, as an anecdote like um, I was uh, talking with my ex partner, and I was telling her that that I don't know why I didn't work with kids before. You know, like even though my work is related to childhood, and childhood is like the theme. Um, uh, and I was telling her that somehow since I worked with with kids in a preschool. Uh, I always, in the, like in the back of my mind as a queer person, I always think that if something happened to a kid, like I'm gonna be the one who, who like, is gonna be blamed, you know, like of corrupting minors and all that. And always is being on the back of my head of like, what happened if the parents see my collages or, you know, the things that I do with childhood? Even though I like, I work with childhood, I think my work is for grown ups. So that's something that I always, you know, clarified. Um, So it's always started like almost as a joke. I was like, um, so the whole interested in the satanic panic thing, I started to research and I realized that a lot of like queer educators basically were accused of committing all these crimes. And um, um, queer people who work with like early childhood education or, yeah, like there's many cases here in the U.S. Or or, like metal kids, you know, who were accused to uh, kidnap like little kids and do like satanic rituals and then there was a whole phenomenon here in the US but I remember that in South America we also have that kind of moral paranoia. I have kind of two bodies of work, like one is the collage in, that I do in my studio and the other ones are my my installations. Um, but the installations are really similar than the process of the studio, basically. I, they're site-specific, and so I spend hours and hours and hours in the space, without knowing in advance what I'm going to do. Um, so I, again, I have a prompt, I might paint the walls, I know that I'm going to work with this and that material, but I don't know how it's going to look like. Um, so my installations are pretty much like a collage in the space. And, and, yeah, I spend a lot of time, basically, in the space. The same way that I spend a lot of time doing the cutouts. And that's, that's when the process started, actually. Like, um, I think that somehow cutting... I particularly cut with scissors. Other people cut with, I don't know, knife and other stuff. But... Um, Somehow the cutouts, doing the cutouts is like the beginning of the process and, and um, it's like drawing somehow. And then in another moment is when I compose, basically. Um, but usually how I work is like I have to have all the materials available and, and then, I don't know, your brain started to, you know, connect all these things together. I think collage has a lot to do with that kind of... Um, yeah, there's something that you control, but something that you don't. Uh, that's that's where the magic happens somehow. Uh, I don't think that is improvised. I think we it's a practice that allows accident to be part of the process, but at least how I view collage is like I put a lot of rules in the game, you know? So, for example, I will use... I, I never combine more than two books or three at the at the most, and each book is gonna have like a different function in the collage. So some books are gonna work out for like the background, for example, and other books are gonna provide the figures. Um, in the last series, for example, like the Satanic Panic series, and like all the I create all these backgrounds and that that are almost abstract with uh with disney books and i specifically choose like three specific books um and then all the figures i'm going to pick them up from you know pedagogical books from the 70s and then i'm going to use cutouts from coloring books like disney coloring books and each of those elements are going to have a different function in the final piece so again one is backgrounds the figures are other and then, for example, the cutouts from the coloring books are like the things that are gonna link both elements. And there's those are absolutely arbitrary rules, you know, but at least I need those rules because otherwise it's again um anything can happen. And many times I, I teach like collage worship, and I'm saying you need to be really intentional about mm the source material that that you, you use. I would say that the choice of the material that you use basically is like everything, you know? And then the manipulation that happened of that material is like what it comes after. And that's when the accidents, you know, you know, comes in, you know? But it's like a really, like you let the accidents to come in just in one aspect. And that's something that I really love about collage that I don't think that other practices have, you know? Like you don't start from scratch. Um, you start from something that already exists, and these materials like carry a lot of meaning. So we are working with the meaning. So the meaning is somehow like another. It's like another material. You know, like those images are like embedded in a lot of rules, uh, uh, norms, etc. And we're working with that. Like that's part of the material. Um, so in a way. Like, I don't think that, like, people consider collage, like, a really conceptual form, you know, but I think it is. And in the beginning, collage has, like, a really, like, particularly political, you know, idea on the back. Eventually become this kind of crafty thing that I really, like, I'm really interested in that aspect also, in the fact that that is not like I'm major form of art, you know, like this aspect of collage that like anybody can do it. I really like it. I I think it's as a queer person also, I think super, I feel super related to that aspect of collage that is like a crafty, cheap thing that anybody can do. But I think it also have like a, you know, like a lot of like political implications, like you're taking something that exists and making some like another meaning with that. I'm always thinking that it's been related. Um, At least my own experience of being like a queer person. Uh, I think I was kind of really aware that I was really different to other people or other kids really early on. (laughs) And also collage is something that I've been doing since I'm a kid. So maybe those things are related in my own experience. Um, I was always super frustrated with trying to draw when i was a kid so that's how i started to make collages i grew up with an architect dad that, that even when he tried to do like a really bad drawing it would come up really good so i remember that frustration then when i was a kid of like i'm trying to work like like draw a house and it doesn't look like a house you know and somehow i have this image like prototypic image of what a house looks like so collage was a really intuitive uh, For, like, I don't even remember when it started. And the the thing that I always say that, like, when I became a grown-up, I just, like, started to do it, like, more consciously, you know? But I was doing it, like, really early on. Like, when other kids will be drawing, I will be cutting (laughs) whatever was around me. Uh, Like, then I went to art school and all those things. I never want to be an artist. That's something that I always, like, uh, like, fight with. Uh, I started to do art really young, I will say, but um, I went to philosophy school first um, and I really resisted the idea of being an artist. Like, I didn't like the image of artists being this, like, you know, kind of a little bit of arrogant people who create things from scratch. Collage somehow is the, the practice within the art world that I found that it was related to who I was. Like, it's something that you can define, you know, uh, it's like, it doesn't have the background of painting or sculpture. It doesn't have that aura, you know, like a kind of a young uh, practice. It's like less than 100 years or 100 years. And I think it's something that I really like to think collage as a practice that is like related to craft and anybody can do it, do it yourself culture somehow. And it's related to yeah, crafty world. I like that it's not like a main art. Um, and in that regard, I think it's similar than, than what queer means. It's like not something that you can capture, you know. Um, but specifically, since I moved to the US, I think uh, we live here in a culture that is so like identity politics oriented. And specifically, if you're like, Latinx and queer, like everybody expects somehow that you need to do some kind of art, you know? And my practice is really, even though I think my practice talk about all those identities, like it doesn't do it in a really straightforward way. But also, technically, you are, like, building a third body with, like, mixes of other bodies. And a lot of us who don't feel like, uh, you know, that it was a journey to get who we are in terms of our sexuality or our gender, you know. Like, I consider myself, like, a gender non-conforming person and also an intersex person, you know. Um, the... The constructions of our own bodies are really like in self like a collage, you know, like you basically your body is not something that you give it for granted it's something that you build somehow um and i i I got that feeling pretty early on, you know, like that i wasn't i wasn't like a regular teenager, like i didn't have anything in common with my female friends i didn't have periods i you know like i I didn't have the same experience of other people when I was a teenager uh, for many different circumstances. So you have to somehow, like, take things from different places <laughs> and build this, like, third experience. And maybe it's because I'm getting older, but um, but in the late years, I've been thinking that collage has a lot to do with that, you know? Like, um, creating this, like, third bodies, like, with with things that we have, you know, around us, and trying to... And it has to do a lot with, like, things that you don't know how to say or not, you don't know how to name, you know? So collage really helped somehow to, yeah, like, trying to search for meanings that are not there yet. Like, I mean, we're doing that when we're doing collages. We're creating creatures that don't exist, Um or we're using images that already exist and we like, you know, shifting the meaning. Um also the word queer it has so many meanings and it's in and, and it's the meaning already shifts so many times um that I think it's pretty similar than collage in a way. somehow it's a really specific moment in our life that is like an in it's a an in transition moment like a like the whole childhood period is a period that things are really uncertain then it's like the main collage maybe you know like everything is shifting everything is changing forms your body is changing uh Reality and fictions are something that are completely mixed also when you're a child. And that was one of my my the first ideas that I have to work with kids. Like, I want to, you know, like, I work about childhood. Like, now I need to do research in the field, basically, you know. So that's why I work with, like, early childhood, basically. Like, I work, like, I'm really interested in, like, one to five, you know, um, the years than basically kids don't get all the norms and are trying to figure it out, all the norms and, you know, how the world works out. And I think, again, collage has a lot to do with that, I will say. Basically, yeah, I'm I'm interested in in how complex childhood is and how much you can talk about the grown-up world, basically, through childhood. You know, how much all the rules and norms that we live basically start there, you know, and start in a really subtle way, not in a really explicit way. So I think my work deals a lot of, with that, issues, you know, like trying to deconstruct those norms. Even though there's there's many artists who work around childhood, is something that we don't talk so much, you know. Um, especially when it comes about like children's sexuality or ch- children's gender expression, la-la-la, blah, blah, blah. you know? Um, it seems that it's something, like, from the grown-up world, and whoever works with kids know that sexuality and gender are, like, main things when you're a kid, <laughs> you know? Um, kids are sexual creatures. Like, the only difference is that they have, like, a different sexuality than grown-ups. And, again, in terms of, like, their gender, like, their childhood is also that period of your life where you're, like, figuring out that. So, coming back a little bit to the things that I was saying before is, like, of course, I want to talk about my work, about all these identity issues, you know? But I think that I'm going to do it in a really, like, not in a linear way. Like, I'm going to go around So Growing Sidewoods, it was the second show of like a kind of a trilogy that I did about gender, specifically about um, childhood and gender. And so the first show, I have to talk a little bit about the other two shows to put in contact with Growing Sideways. So the first show, the name of the first show was uh, Pin the Tail. And that was the, Pin the Tail was the show that I did or the project that I developed when I was like between Argentina and the U.S., um, so basically, Pin the Tail was based on a series of pictures that I found in a thrift store that um, show like a bunch of kids playing Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Um, so I found an, like a family album with all these pictures of like from the 80s. It's a group of kids, like what it seems like a birthday party, and they're all playing Pin the Tail on the Donkey. And they have like the image of the donkey, you know, in a door, and they're like, like, blindfolded and, uh, like, ping in the tail. And it's really interesting because when I found those pictures, just a few days later, I found in a 99 cent store the same game. Like, this is something really kind of magical that happened, at least in my practice. It's like, I found those pictures. I They were like, oh, my God, I need to do something with these pictures. I don't know yet what I'm going to do. And then, you know, I went into a 99 cent store and I found exactly the same game. And I was like, this is so interesting. They're still selling the same game that is the picture in this pictures from the 80s. And like, that's pretty much how I can, like in the practice, how can I ex- like express how my process work out in my mind? You know, like that's when the connection started to happen. So I bought the game and then in the same store I found like, fake ponytails and it's like it's so interesting because the like one object is not related to the other one in terms of use but symbolically it is related like a ponytail can be the tail of the donkey and then I was thinking it's so interesting how a ponytail is somehow like a sign of femininity you know, like you can buy this like fake ponytail and put it on your head and somehow like you're a girl So that's when the series about gender started and how, like, these different objects somehow are metaphor of, like, gender, you know, objects that make our, like, how you build your own gender somehow. Um, From the beginning, I started to think in a series that it will be, like, different... You know different things related to childhood. So in "Pin the Tail" was a game. I was I'm, I'm always being really interested in games and popular songs, for example, um, and how all those games are full of norms and or full of metaphors. So "Pin the Tail" is full of metaphors about like if you pin the tail on the butt of the donkey it has a different score than if you pin it in another part of the body. So in, like in a really metaphorical way, you're saying that. Like the game is, you know, saying like there's more correct part of the body than others, you know, that the the tail, the ponytail goes on the butt it doesn't go on the head of the donkey. So that allows me to talk a lot about like gender and stuff. The second show, I was like, okay, I've been working with books the whole time, you know, and I want to focus and try to look on those books that all those gender norms are really embedded, like so embedded that you barely see it, and that's why I got to the pedagogical books that I use that are from mainly from the '70s or the '60s, but they're still in print, you know, and in some school they still like they're still being used. Um, so that's why how Growing in time, which, uh, like uh, you know started um and then with John Chaage, who was the curator of that show, um basically we came up with that title that we brought from a, like the subtitle of a book that we really love called the queer Child um like I started to develop this collage who was like a line at that time, I was between the u s and Argentina, so I was like basically. They didn't have, like, a stable place to live. And I always, like, have, like, only one table, like, in a tiny room. So I would, like, do collages in, like, little pieces and then put them together. And that's how the series started, basically. I create, like, a line collage. Um, for almost a year and a half, I was working on that piece. And it was, like, 200 pieces. And that's when John invited me to do a show. And So the first Growing Sideways happened in a bookstore, and that was amazing. It's a bookstore here in New York called the Bureau of General Service Queer Division. And it's a bookstore that is inside of like a LGBTQ center that is amazing in Manhattan. And so that's how Growing Grow Segway started. So it started in like, it was my first solo show in the U.S. Like, yeah, it was my first solo show in New York. I have a show, Pin the Tail was in Syracuse and in a gallery in Argentina. So I did it in two, two places. So the second show started at the Bureau, and it was great because it was a bookstore. So I was like, how, so this whole body of work is going to be about childhood, gender, and books, and how those books inform who we are. But also the idea, we love the title Growing Sideways because, like, the whole idea of that concept is that queer people, instead of growing up, we grow sideways because we're you know, constantly had to visit who we were, to build who we are. Um, so it's not, you're not growing up, you're growing sideways. But also what I was doing with that collage was literally that. Like I was building a collage who's growing sideways, you know, and it's endless. Like it's a series that I keep, keep doing it. And then the third show was Curveball. Basically, it was a show about sport, sports. So I choose softball and baseball. And again, the same way how Pin the Tail started, it started with an anecdote. Like I found a broken baseball bat in the park, and as an object was such a like you know intense subject, and I was like, this is so interesting how objects carry, like, a lot of, like, metaphors about bodies, you know, like, a baseball bat is, like, it can be a weapon in America, like, in, in, you know, United States is a symbol of many things, but also it's a really phallic symbol. And then I started to research about baseball and how there's a difference between softball and baseball. Softball is for girls and baseball is for boys, and then I find that they have a whole, you know, Mids, like baseball and softball meets created for boys and girls. And the, the the whole baseball and softball is full of like norms and rules that are absolutely arbitrary and they're different for boys and girls. So like really, in a really explicit way, like the bat for boys is more, like have more weight than the one for girls. And the, even the feel of both games is different and the rules are slightly different. So now I was like, so... It's so interesting how again, like a game or a song for kids or books or certain kind of sport are embedded with all these rules and norms that are absolutely arbitrary, but basically be all, you know, in this case, like I was thinking about gender, like like what are you supposed to do or or be when you're assigned certain gender? Um and how like, yeah, like if you shift a little bit of the meaning of those objects, you can, you started to say completely different things. Um, I really like that about objects and images that, and about collage, again, that you, you can manipulate a little bit, you know, some aspect of it and, and it change everything.
1: Show broadcast is sponsored by NEW, a project based art collection designed to foster artist collaboration and empower creative expression. To learn more about their program and the artists they work with, go to newcollection.com. This episode was produced by myself, Maximo Tuja, aka Maxomatic. Edition and sound design by Matthias Rossi. Mixed and mastered by Adriana Barro. If you want to support us, that's easy. Share this episode and comment about it on social media. You can also send us a nice email with kind words. We always appreciate that. For further information feel free to go to theweirdshow.info and find more episodes, interviews and reviews that we've been collecting there for at least 11 years.